people come in and what draws them into the church, what they notice first isn't the fact that we pray. What is attractive is the products of that prayer. You're listening to the Christian Civics Podcast, exploring how the gospel empowers us to think, speak, and act differently in the public square. I'm your host, Rick Barry, the co-founder and executive director of the Center for Christian Civics. For any Christian who wants to grow in their capacity to understand, relate to, and grow with people on the other side of the aisle, learning to pray with people who don't share your politics is an essential skill. But for a lot of us, group prayer isn't something we're taught how to do. It feels awkward or vulnerable, or it feels more like a performance than a spiritual discipline or a relational activity. That's why at the Center for Christian Civics, we integrate group prayer exercises into our classes, and it's why we talk about prayer a lot in our ministry. This week, our guest is Pastor John Onwachekwa. He's the pastor of Cornerstone Church in Atlanta, Georgia, and the author of Prayer, How Praying Together Shapes the Church. I talked with Pastor Onwachekwa about his own history with group prayer, what it's like to become part of a community that emphasizes praying together, and how to be honest in your prayer life. We're going to jump right into the interview, then come back together for a quick reflection before we close out, of course, in prayer. So to kick things off, here's Pastor Onwachekwa sharing why he wanted to write a book on group prayer. Prayer was meant not just help me individually, prayer was meant to help us, meant to shape the church. I've been blessed to uh, be a part of and pastor churches that just had a deep commitment to prayer. So yeah, so it was dope to be able to write a book that was a overflow of something that I've seen tangibly worked out. What role has corporate prayer played in shaping your own faith? Where did this burden for corporate prayer come from for you? Yeah. So I think it really came from the family that I grew up in. So my parents are both Nigerian immigrants. And one of the things that I look back on now with fondness is seeing and hearing my dad pray, you know, every morning before we left the house for school or for church. There was time spent in God's word, time where we sang to God, time that we prayed. One of the things that I hold yeah, near and dear to my heart is every day, you know, my mom, you know, raised five kids while she worked full time, while she cooked all the meals, while she finished up a doctorate when we were in elementary and middle school. And every day she would come home from work, uh, go into her room and she would kind of close the door and there would be certain days where she would come say hi, kiss us on the forehead, close the door and the door would be kind of cracked open. And we would peek through the little crack and we would see her on her knees every day and just seeing how all the things that kind of came our way, just never really seeing my parents hopeless or rattled. Like we we had lots of stuff go on in our lives. I mean, the same thing as everybody else's life, but there was never a sense of hopelessness or despair when it came to my mom and my dad. And so that was a thing I think that forever shaped me. It sounds like you grew up in an environment where every day you were praying with other people. Yeah. As your spiritual life 
shifted from being centered on your parents and the home you grew up in to being centered elsewhere, centered in other communities. Was there any kind of culture shock? Was there any kind of change you saw in the way that your family prioritized corporate prayer or practiced it versus the way your new Christian community practiced it as you grew up? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I saw as I started to like traverse into communities that valued intellect, knowledge, accuracy, all of those things, what I saw was that there tended to be this inverse relationship where the more and more knowledge was esteemed and valued, the less and less I saw times carved out for prayer. Prayer became very transitory, right? So it transitioned from one thing to the next, or prayer became really an introduction. I'm going to pray first, ask for God's hand, but then I'm going to spend the bulk of the time talking, teaching, and instructing, and then we'll pray to close things out. So prayer were bookends or the picture frame, but on the inside of that frame, it was us talking, hearing ourselves talk. So that was a little bit of a culture shock for me. And it it was very easy to get it swept up in that whirlwind of which I did for many years. I've had so many experiences where I almost naively or ignorantly wandered in assuming people had the same culture of prayer right. that I was coming oh, from. Yeah, yeah. You know, when I went from college to being part of a church after college, right. when I went from being part of that church to moving overseas and being part of a different church. Right. When I moved from one city in the U.S. to another, I didn't realize every Christian community has its own distinct character, its own distinct relationship to prayer, and not everyone has the same strengths. Right. Yeah. Uh, That even showed up when I started dating my wife, and I was like, well, let's pray over the phone. She's like, what are you talking about? That's so weird. Right, right, right. How do you feel out the relationship to prayer that a new community has? Yeah. Yeah. So I think, no, no, you just watch and observe. I think as the years have gone on, when I come into a community, I tend to instinctively like evaluate a church, right? The rubric or the axis that I'll put on the graph is, do they pray or don't they pray, right? That to me is really the line of demarcation that determines a lot of what I would expect kind of out of the church and how they deal with crisis and heartache and trouble and despair and all that stuff. Like, is this a church that praying is in their DNA or is it not? And so one of the things that I've just found is that, hey, if I'm ever a part of a community and I have any type of influence with the community at large, whether that's interpersonally or on a platform, I'm just going to use whatever platform I have to make sure that I gather people to come together to pray. And I just feel like when you kind of have that mindset, you find that prayer movements can start from the pulpit, if you have control of that, or prayer movements can start off very, yeah, grassroots from the ground up. Like if you are able to just pray with folks and influence them. And you just start to see the anxiety and the burden fall off and the empathy increase. There's a noticeable change and people come through and say, what changed? What happened? People constantly want to improve and get better and feel less anxious. And prayer connects us to 
our God in a way where we let those burdens fall off. We give them all to him. What are some of the things you've seen people coming to a church where the pastor places a big priority on corporate prayer, yeah. but they might be coming from a church or a community where that's not the case? Yeah. What are some of the initial hardest things for people to adjust to? It's funny be- because people come in and what draws them into the church, what they notice first isn't the fact that we pray. What is attractive is the products of that prayer, right? So they'll come in and be like, man, y'all feel like a family or man, y'all feel yeah, this is great to see how well folks love one another and care for each other's needs. And man, it's awesome. This feels like a warm place and inviting and all that. And and so they look at all those things. And then when we talk about the importance of prayer and emphasize the gathering that we have for people to come and pray, the hardest thing is helping people make the connection to, oh, no, 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 look, look, look. The products that you see and you love, those come as a result of the process of prayer that we as a church have committed ourselves to. So we'll be five years old as a church this June, but for the past six years, we've met at least once per month to come together and pray. And every time that we meet to pray for the the past six years, we've prayed uh, that God would keep us tethered to his word, that we would preach in such a way that's sound and engaging. We pray that God would make us loving. We pray that God would make us a warm place. We pray God would make us a generous church. So all of those things that they feel, we try to help them see. This comes as a result of their prayers. There's a correlation in between what they enjoy about the church and the very thing that is most often neglected and the least attended thing that we do. And you said those things come as a result of prayer and as a result of praying together about those things. Why can't those pieces of fruit just come from teaching well about them? In the same way that you don't learn how to ride a bike by reading books, right? At some point, you actually have to get on the bike and learn what it is to lean on the bike and how to balance your weight And so it's not the knowledge of how to ride a bike that gives somebody the confidence to ride a bike. It is the knowledge of how to ride a bike actually put into practice as you lean and balance your weight on the bike and trust that that bike will hold you. And it's the same thing. Like You don't learn how to pray by reading books, even good books. Like We learn by actually leaning on God. So the knowledge that we get from God's word is good, but that's meant to push us to a place where we're forced to lean on him. And then it's in the act of actually leaning on God that we're changed. And so that's what we're trying to help folks see. There's a leaning, there's a practice. Like Jesus taught on prayer. And when he was praying in Gethsemane, his disciples fell asleep, although they had the greatest teacher to teach them. But it was his practice there in the garden where he agonized in the garden. And then you look through, and it's crazy, through the rest of the gospels, what we see is that as each gospel author gives an account of the crucifixion, the picture that they paint is that the agony took place in the garden on his knees, 
and Jesus had the strength to face the disaster that came, whereas the disciples fell asleep and they didn't pray and they found themselves running away from people that didn't chase them. And then you you go into the book of Acts and you see things flip on their head. And now you have these men filled with the spirit and they find themselves constantly praying and they run headlong into danger and trouble the same way that Christ did. And it's like, what changed? The filling of the spirit and the practice of prayer. So yeah, actually got to learn how to lean. There are maybe two points in my Christian life where group prayer changed the course of my spiritual development. One was uh, in 2010, I was dealing with depression. I was dealing with spiritual exhaustion. For most of 2010, the, the only time I prayed was with other people, but there were enough people who knew me and knew what I was going through that people were bringing me to two different small groups every week to a dedicated prayer group three times a month, making sure I was going to church with them. So I was involved in group prayer like four times a week. And I almost describe that as the spiritual equivalent of an iron lung, that there were parts of my own spiritual life that I wasn't exercising on my own. Yeah but that other people were exercising for me. It was almost like spiritual, physical therapy. As you see people engage in group prayer who maybe weren't used to it before, what fruit have you seen in their own spiritual lives? How have you seen that change individuals? Like I know for me, it kept me alive spiritually. I don't know what my faith would even look like if I didn't have that year of people really dedicated to making sure I was participating in corporate prayer when they could tell I wasn't participating in individual prayer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So now I think that's a great point. Man, corporate prayer, I feel like is the best way to both sustain us, like you said, like it's like being put on a breathing machine when your lungs don't work right, but it's also like the best way to train us that it's something about being in a room and like praying with people where you find that there's great power in just like two words. And those two words are me too, right? So somebody prays and you're like, I didn't know that it was wrong to feel that way, but now I know. And it's like, oh, now that I know, Lord, me too, right? Or I didn't know that you could go to God that boldly and ask for things. Like you read the book of Habakkuk and and you see somebody who is filled with all of this doubt and he takes all of this doubt and he turns his doubt into a dialogue with God and he goes directly at him. And you read that and say, I didn't know that you could talk like this to God. And so it gives you permission to say things that you didn't think that you could say. It gives you it gives you instruction on, oh, I didn't know that I should feel remorseful about this. And so in all of that, it just kind of instructs you and trains you and instructs you and trains you. And the more and more that you do it, the more and more that you're being built up so that now when you're on your own, right, it's kind of like the karate kid. Ah, man, I'm here. And it seems redundant and I'm waxing on and I'm waxing off. But then you find yourself all alone right? About to get you know punched in the face by life. And you just find these instincts that will build up inside of you unknowingly. And I just feel like, man, that's where corporate prayer is a great tool. Not only does it 
sustain us, but it helps to itself strengthen those atrophied muscles so that when we do find ourselves all alone at a time, we see, oh, something's changed on the inside of us. Our instincts have been rewired. For anyone who's listening to this and wants to learn how to pray with other people, whether it's because there are people in their life whose faith they admire and they want to learn how to have faith like them, yeah, or because there's people in their life who they might have a hard time with, and so they need to spend time before God with this person yeah. to learn to see who this person is when they're with their father and learn to get a better look at the f- ways in which God is shaping them. For anyone who's listening to this and is trying to get started, how do you, as a pastor, equip people to pray together when you're not there? Yeah. Uh, do you have prayer exercises you have them do? What kind of instruction do you give your congregation or your small group leaders? How do you equip people to practice praying together yeah. who might not be used to it? Yeah. We model it corporately at the church. So the best way to learn is to come and to do that. And when we do that, it's so grassroots and without lots of fan flair that anybody can like walk through and say, oh, I could do this, right? There's some people like if if you watch them cook, it's like, man, that's complicated. There's no way I could do that. And then there's somebody that it's like, oh, you really didn't cook that. You took the Stouffer's lasagna, preheated the oven to 450 degrees and put it in there for... 60 minutes. I can do that, right? Anybody that comes to a prayer gathering that we have looks at it and says, oh, I can do that. And the main thing is like, I don't want anybody to find themselves involved in paralysis by analysis. Like when you start to talk about praying, you can Google and there's just so much stuff out there that what you can run into is the same thing that I ran into trying to write this book on yeah, a prayer for the first few months, I read a whole lot on prayer and I was reading and getting it in. And I was like, oh, this is good. And I realized, man, I spent so much time reading on prayer. I didn't actually pray. So there's not a silver bullet yeah, method that I found is helpful. I think the biggest thing is just somebody taking the initiative and saying, I admire your faith. I would love to pray with you. Can I call you twice per week and we spend some time and pray? And what you'll find out is that you'll start and it'll be clunky and it won't really work out right. But then if you like keep on, you adjust and you fix things. Like So from that standpoint, if there's anybody out there that's like, man, I really want to do it. I found when it comes to prayer, people don't fail to pray because of a lack of instruction. They fail to pray because of a lack of inspiration and motivation, right? So it's not the like how to, it's why should I? And so I think if you can get somebody to want to pray, then from that standpoint, it's just tell them, all right, just go, just start baseline. What can you commit to right now and commit to that habit and improve. So the main thing I'd say, start, call somebody and say, I want to do this. Let's commit to 30 days of this and see what God does with it. So you said it's not a matter of 
instruction and how to, uh, for a lot of the people you minister to, it's a matter of why. Yeah. Uh, and I think we've talked around this a little bit, but let me just put that question to you directly then. Yeah. If one of your congregants comes to you and says, why should I be praying with other people? Yeah. What would you tell them? For the Christian, when it comes to prayer, I think we tend to default to individual prayer as if like that's the norm and corporate prayer is an add-on. Uh, I actually think that if you're going to rank them kind of 1A and 1B, I tend to think that the inverse may be true. Like you go through the book of Acts and what you see is you're hard pressed to find somebody praying all by themselves. Most of the prayer in the book of Acts is corporate prayer. And the few instances where people are praying by themselves, the Lord is bringing somebody to Paul, bringing Peter and Cornelius together. As Jesus gives the instruction in the Sermon on the Mount, throughout the rest of it, he's speaking in singular pronouns. If your hand causes you to sin, you, one person, cut it off, right? You, 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 you. But then when he gets to prayer and they say, Lord, how should we pray? And the first words he says this, you then, you one person pray like this, our father. And every other pronoun in there is a plural pronoun because he wants us to embrace the fact this Christianity, this faith that we have is not just about the relationship that we have with God, right? God does not have only children. From the time we come into God's family, we have obligation and responsibility to our brothers and sisters that are also a part of his family. So when we pray, it's our Father. We're reminding ourselves, not just of our tie to God, but our tie to one another. And so I just try to help folks see, no, no, listen, praying together, it's the norm. It's not cheating. It's not less than, right? It's not like, God's going to give you an A plus if you pray all by yourself, but he only gives out B minuses to people that like praying groups. No, no, no. God wants us to collectively come together and pray. People are a resource in the same way your Christianity was not meant to be sustained in isolation. Prayer, the thing that sustains your Christianity was, was not meant to be sustained in isolation. Yeah, you pointed out that the Lord's Prayer, his model for prayer is all plural. Right. And I think it's worth pointing out that before he gives them the Lord's Prayer, he says, go to your most private place. Right. And then even in your most private place, in your deepest, most personal heart of hearts, Think about your that. prayer should all be about the body. Amen. Your prayers should be, your most private prayers should be your most personal prayers, your most secret prayers. Right should be for the body I have woven you into, not just yourself. Yeah. And the beautiful thing about the church is that when you are not a part of a church and not committed to a local body of people, that when you pray the, our Father, right, give us this day our daily bread, you're kind of praying for these vague, nameless silhouettes, right? But when you're committed to a church and you say, Lord, give us our daily bread, then you are reminded this pandemic hit and online sales have gone through the roof. I basically got a promotion, but this pandemic hit and somebody 
who was a barber or a hairdresser is out of work. I prayed that God would give us as a church what we need. God gave me more than what I need. God gave them less than what they need. God answered our prayer because now I have the means to provide uh, bread for them. And that's what I prayed for. I didn't just pray that God would give me what I need. I prayed that God would give us what he needed. And he gave us what we needed by providing me more than what I have. But if that us and that hour, these vague, nameless silhouettes, then you lose this huge part of what prayer um, is meant to be. I think what you have in connection to God, you lose in the connection that he meant us to have to one another as responsible siblings. All right. That was my interview with Pastor John Anwuchekwa, pastor of Cornerstone Church in Atlanta, Georgia, and author of Prayer, How Praying Together Shapes the Church. I mentioned at the top of the episode, and we mentioned during the interview, that praying together is one of the major ways God uses the church around us to grow us, shape us, and teach us. In just a moment, I'm going to lead us in prayer, but before I do, I want to flag a resource that might help you learn how to talk and pray about hard topics with other Christians in your life. We've just released a revised and updated edition of our first small group Bible study guide. It's called Light to the World, Navigating Politics in Light of the Christian Story. This is a four-chapter study and discussion guide taking you through the Bible's story of creation, fall, redemption, and restoration. Each chapter includes readings from both the Old and New Testament that helps you and your group track these themes as they developed throughout biblical history. And each chapter drives us into conversation about how this particular aspect of the story of salvation might change the way we react to divisive political rhetoric and might make us more open to the witness of Christians who don't share our politics. If you and your small group are looking for a way to talk about the 400-pound gorilla in the room without losing your patience with one another, or if you're looking for ways to help one another navigate difficult cultural terrain wisely and faithfully, this is for you. You can find a link in the show notes for this episode or on our website at christiancivics.org in the store section. Now, before we close, I want to pick back up on the Lord's Prayer, which Pastor John and I talked about near the end of our conversation. I think it's pretty significant that Jesus's instructions on how to pray when we're alone are so thoroughly and completely plural. Whether you're a political liberal or a political conservative, most Americans, we tend to think in terms that are a lot more oriented toward the individual than the biblical authors usually did. On the right, this usually takes the form of rugged individualism, kind of an overemphasis on personal responsibility to the exclusion of most concepts of any kind of corporate accountability. It rejects the idea that we could be responsible for downstream effects of the decisions we make, or we could be responsible for our part in things that happen based on decisions a larger group of people make. On the left, this usually takes the form of radical individuality, the idea that personal expression is paramount, that 
we're all responsible for accommodating one another's needs or preferences. And the idea that any individual's desires are almost always sanctified and not to be challenged. The Lord's Prayer pushes back against both of these things in pretty significant ways. It leads us to pray for other people's needs and to view their needs as our needs. But it also calls us to take responsibility for the sins of others or to see ourselves implicated in other people's misdeeds and to commit to the idea of practicing righteousness together. Forgive us our debts and lead us not into temptation. To close out the episode today, I'm going to lead us in a prayer that's modeled on the Lord's Prayer and adapted from Journey in Prayer, Learning to Pray with Jesus by John Smed and Justine Wang. I'd love for you to pray along, but when you do, I'd also love for you to pick someone in the church who has different politics from you. And when I pray we, substitute that in your heart for me and this other person by name. Every time I say we or us, think deliberately about that person by name and yourself. Every time I say we, lift yourself and this other person up to God at the same time, with the same hand, in the same breath. I'll give you a few seconds to pray and reflect silently about who you'll pick, and then I'd love for you to join me in prayer. Let's pray together. God, thank you for making yourself our Father, for putting us in that kind of intimate relationship with you, for choosing us and adopting us into your family, for assuring us that there is nothing we can do to change your love for us. Your name is worthy of reverence. Teach us to worship and honor you, not for your mighty deeds, but for the beauty and purity of your character. We are broken and bruised, but you commissioned your son to pay an incredible price so that we could be in relationship with you, the holy God. We want to be more like Jesus. Please fill us with the Holy Spirit and give us the power to follow Jesus and be advocates for his goodness, justice, and righteousness in this world. Please make Jesus the leader of our lives. Give us the grace, wisdom, and courage to live out the values and character of Jesus' coming kingdom today. Through our lives and our life together in the church, let Jesus' restoration and rebuilding be felt in our town, here and now. Our hearts are not always in line with your will. Please open our ears to hear the cry of the victim. Give us passion for justice. Give us compassion and give us hearts that seek the rehabilitation of both victims and offenders. Give us hearts that are willing to carry out your will on earth by getting involved with the needs of our town that you have carried us into. 
Thank you for everything we have, for every good gift of grace you've given us to make living in this world bearable and even enjoyable. Give us grateful, content hearts and lead us to joy and even generosity in simplicity. Provide for our earthly needs. We are often more anxious than we are willing to admit, and more set on feeling like we are capable of providing for ourselves than a dependent creature should be. Give us hearts that trust and rely on you. Thank you for sending us Jesus to make forgiveness and reconciliation not just possible, but guaranteed. Through Jesus, cleanse our hearts and heal our wounds. And as we are forgiven by you, give us the power to forgive others. As you bear with us, give us the patience to bear with others. Teach us to be peacemakers in the relationships and brokenness around us. Guide us. Be present with us. Protect us. And through your Spirit, give us the power and confidence and grace to resist temptation and to overcome trials. Teach us to bear one another up in this, so that we can each say that we are stronger because of the work you have done through the other. Defend and deliver us in our trials. Restrain evil in our lives. And teach us to be agents of your restraint in the community around us. Thank you that your goodness will prevail. Lead us to celebrate that eventual victory now and together. Amen. That's it for this week. Thank you all very much for praying along. You'll be able to find a transcript of that prayer on our website at christiancivics.org. You'll also find a link to Pastor John Onwachekwa's book, Prayer, How Praying Together Shapes the Church. And I'll throw up a link to Journey in Prayer, Learning to Pray with Jesus as well. And again, be sure to visit our website, christiancivics.org, to purchase your copy of Light to the World, Navigating Politics in Light of the Christian Story. And we'll be back again next week. Until then, thank you very much for being with us as we work out together how the gospel empowers us to think, speak, and act differently in the public square. <laughs>